So hello and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, thrilled to be here at the Ryerson Fashion Zone with two incredible business leaders and entrepreneurs. We have El Ayubzadeh of Zvel Shoes. Zvel Shoes, Zvel Designs, Zvel... Zvel. Zvel. But all those things are amazing things that she does, as well as Pega Kargar of Repaint History. And part of the reason I'm so excited to speak to these two women is because they have done something inspiring and have infused a sense of, not just a sense of purpose, but a very tangible, practical way of bringing their missions to every element of their business. So before we get into uh, the discussion, I'd like to just invite them to introduce themselves so they can share a little bit about them themselves and their brand before we get started. So Elle? Uh, I'm delighted to be here, Donna. Um, I'm Elle. I'm the founder and creative director of Zavel, And our mission at Zavel is to bring this idea of global citizenry to fashion. We do that through the products we create um, and the stories we tell about those products and through interview series with women. And our goal with those interview series is to really revolutionize the way fashion portrays women and their stories. Um, thanks, Donna, for having me today. So I'm Pega. I'm the founder and CEO of Repaint History. And Repaint History is essentially a company that brings recognition uh, to the female artists of the past while supporting present and future female identifying artists, as well as addressing the gender gap in the art world. So um, part of our business is dedicated to using and leveraging fashion to address this gender gap, as well as the mentorship series for artists that we have and the events that we host to address this gap. Um, and yeah, so thank you for having me. I'm excited. Elle, I'd like to start with you. Um, what was the spark that inspired you to start Zvel? Um, you're a relatively new brand. Your background is in finance. What was the moment when you said, I want to be a shoe designer? Um, I think, uh, you know, the long answer is the moment that sparked was 38 years ago when I was born um, <laughs> from a kind of wanting to do something that added to this world. Um, and then from shoes, it really um, was just a way for me to express myself. Um, and when I still to this day, um, I think of myself more as, yes, I'm a shoe designer, but I think that I'm, you know, more than just a shoe designer. For me, shoes are a way to um, express yourself. And it's also a way, as um, my uh, my good friend Elizabeth Semmel, who's the uh, creative director at Bata Shoe Museum, says, it's a way to understand power structures and society. Um, so when I look at shoes, um, it's just more than what we put on our feet on a day-to-day -day basis. Can you talk a little bit more about that relationship between shoes and power dynamics? Because I think that seems to, as you were talking about global citizenry, that seems to really inform that foundation. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, you know, one example is, I, you know, when I used to work in finance um, and, you know, I was young and I 
was new to Canada, so, um, and I used to wear these, you know, red bottom shoes, which you might know who the brand is. Um, and, you know, sitting on my, my on my desk, um, and, you know, we had a driver drive us around, so I, you know, that was one, you know, kind of a part in my life. And then I decided to become an entrepreneur, and um, this was a business that gave me the idea for this one. And I didn't have the funds to invest, you know, $1,000 on uncomfortable shoes. And I really started to think, you know, why is it that, you know, I spent $1,000 on shoes that make me feel like shit? Um, hope I can say that. And, you can um, totally say that. Yeah. And um, and at the same time, these are not shoes that that last. Um, so if you look at you know uh, power, you know women are uh, you know pe people say well beauty hurts. Well why does it? Um, you know why do women have to wear certain things to certain places? I mean who actually made that up? Um, so I've never you know been someone who read a fashion magazine and ran out and bought something. Uh, of course, I enjoy fashion magazines, especially even more so when they, you know, feature our shoes and bags. But um, it's, I don't see myself as, you know, a woman who just kind of like loves to listen to society. And when I look at, um, you know, our footwear or our clothes, um, a lot of it is related to what society tells you. Um, you know, you go, when I, for example, when I used to work in finance, I remember having a red briefcase and um, a, you know, very sweet, you know, older lady colleague pulled me aside and said, Al, you like to, you know, direct attention to yourself. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, look at your red briefcase. And I just didn't, like, I was so shocked. And I was, you know, like, I just moved to Canada for this job was wondering, like, no, I, it's just a briefcase that I bought, and it's red, and I red's one of my favorite colors, and I'm wearing it today. Um, so, you know, that to her was something that I shouldn't have because I was working in finance, and I was, I don't know, meant to look boring. You know, that's one example. Pega, I could see you nodding as Elle was talking about power imbalances and, and the pressures of society. Can you talk a little bit about what what the moment was that inspired you to notice this imbalance with with female artists and why did you choose fashion as a way to express that purpose because i think what is interesting is Elle's story has her entrepreneurship for footwear and she brought in a purpose but you started in a way the opposite way that's right so um for me essentially the way that I came across gender gap in the art world was um, through reading and you know I've always been an art lover but literally by fluke um, I was thinking of artists of the past and I named Monet, Manet, Van Gogh, Picasso and I named and named and named and then for a second I realized these are all male artists why can I name a female artist? And so I thought of Frida, and I was like, thank God for Frida. Like, <laughs> she's there. She's the savior. And so I thought, okay, that's interesting. Is it just me? Is it my circle? What's happening? And so I started doing a ton of research around this. And I thought, when I started seeing the numbers and the stats and the facts that are out there, I thought, 
oh wow, this is a huge gap in the art world. There are stats such as like a female, female artwork is sold 40% less than a male artist. And that's larger than wage gap. And so I started reading the stories of contemporary women artists and past female artists and their stories just became so overwhelming. Because for instance, the past female artists, they all made a name for themselves. They were famous in their time. They were equal to their male artists. But as soon as they died, their names were removed from art history. And so I thought, okay, come on, like we gotta do something about this. And one thing that was interesting at the time was that I've never been in the art world. And so you, you know, there's this notion that are you an artist? Do you, like, are you a woman in art? And my answer always was, well, no, but I've done a ton of research around this and I've, and I've, you know, dedicated so much time to learning about it. And, and at the end of it, if you, you don't have to be in the art world to understand inequality. You can be in any industry and if you see a gap, you can think of addressing it. And so I thought, okay, what can I do? I'm a bit of a geek on the side as well. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll build an app for this. You know, maybe that's how I can address this. Then I thought, you know, who really downloads an app nowadays when it's for something that's nice to know and it's not your Uber Eats or Uber or, you know, a must have. So I thought, okay, it has to be something that's non-intrusive, unique, a conversation starter. And clothing was something that came to my mind. And I thought, you know, you're a walking billboard when you wear something. So why not address this gap through clothing? Mm -hmm. Why not bring the names of this woman in art world? And then I thought, okay, repaint history. <laughs> and you, I mean, you're wearing a very cute t-shirt oh, this you. evening, thank but you. if people go to the, your website and go to Instagram, like your fashion brand is not t-shirts. You've got That's some right. really interesting That's right. uh, tailoring. Can you describe a little bit yeah. just so people have a sense of... Absolutely. It actually... So Repaint History actually started with a uh, asymmetrical color blouse um, that I bring a name of a female artist from Baroque era called Artemisia Gentileschi, who was in the same era as Caravaggio. Very well known, equal, but you know... We've heard Caravaggio in the past, probably haven't heard of Artemisia. And so I wanted to make the color design different, simple, but different, just so that it grabs attention and starts a conversation. And it wasn't a very difficult decision in terms of, because I made one sample and I put it on and and I was in finance world at the time as well, and I worked to work, and literally every five minutes I got stopped. What's going on with your color? What's going on with your blouse? What's happening? And so I thought, okay, maybe there's something to this. And then I thought, okay, is this a viable business? Is this something that I can actually turn it into business and address this cause through it? So I put the blouse and a bunch of other designs on Kickstarter while I was still working in the finance world. And within a month, the campaign got funded, and I was like, holy Christ, this may be something, there might be something into this. And so that's when it all kicked off, and then other designs came in. And, and so we created the t-shirt line to have a more democratized and accessible pricing point, um, so that anybody who cares about this, uh, this this cause and this mission, they can afford and support and wear it. 
You said something there that I think is really important, which was, can this be a viable business? Yeah. Like, the two of you are not sitting here as philanthropists. You're not sitting here as, you know, this is a hobby or, like, this is a profitable business that you're both running. Pega, you know, let's, let's talk brass tacks a little bit. Just because you have a, like, because you have a purpose, that impacts many decisions. Is it ever a challenge? Have you ever had a situation where you've had to make a really maybe difficult decision in order to stay true to to what your, your company mission is? Absolutely. I think, I think one of the, um, there's the business aspects of it, but then there's the mission that's driving your business. And, you know, just for the sake of a partnership and for your brand, you know, to get awareness, um, you don't have to go out there and partner with every single person under the sun to make your business work. I think if you're a social enterprise and if you have a mission, you really need to um, speak to that and you really need to um, walk the walk because, for instance, um, my business partner and I, we were actually chatting about this two nights ago. Um, there's a partnership that's a very viable partnership, and it's a big organization that, you know, we can potentially do a partnership with them, but because they don't fully believe in the mission that Repaint History supports, um, we are stepping away from it. So I think it's very important that you can really stay true to what you support. Is that scary, you, though? It's extremely scary <laughs> because if you think of it from a business aspects of it, um, you do the math, and then I think I think it's also like what are the short-term gains and what are the long-term gains gains from it. So I think if if the partnership it's you know extremely viable and there might be short-term gains for it. Um, the, what does that translate to in the long run? How would you, how would you be perceived as a brand in the long run? Those, you know, we have a we have a good supporters. We have a good amount of supporters that support our business and support the mission that we have. What does it mean for those people when they see partnerships like that? So we're really conscious of that. Yeah. yeah. Elle, I see you, you nodding. I know this is something that is very close to you as well. You have quite an extensive supply chain with what you do. How does your, how does the global, the global citizen mantra weave into your decisions throughout your supply chain? Mm -hmm. um, for us, the, the, the purpose of the business and the business is the same. There really isn't, um, you know, anything different. So, um, and that starts from, you know, the suppliers to the employees to really anyone, um, you know, on the on the supply chain. So we make our shoes and bags in in Italy, and um, initially it was just me. I would meet every single, um, you know, factory owner. I would meet uh, the person who would do the box. The um, and I still do to this day. Uh, I go to Italy uh, once every two months. We have two people down there full time, but um, it's still, you know, not outsourced. Um, every single person, it, you know, 
honestly, I don't care whether you're cleaning the toilet um, or you are um, doing graphic design or you're actually um, somebody who's representing us, like, you know, a PR person. You have to understand our purpose and who we are because um, it's just like different parts of the body and it all comes together. So you're only as strong as the weakest person. And, you know, like Pega as well, um, you know, so our business is, for the most part, self-funded. And um, when you get press or whatever, you get, you know, a lot of calls from investors. And a couple of years ago, uh, you know, we... We had a ton of press and lots of exciting things were happening and I was approached by, by two people, um, you know, and they were keen to invest and, um, of course, you know, here, the other thing is you're running a business and it's tough and it's hard. Okay. And your first job as a CEO founder is to make sure your employees are paid. So, you know, that's your first job. Um, and you can be all, you know, mission driven and all, things, but if you cannot pay your bills and your staff, then you're not doing a good job. Um, so I, I was approached by these two people and everything was, you know, fantastic as the honeymoon period always is. And I was asked, um, two questions, which kind of made me think one was, I wasn't married at the time was if I planned to get pregnant. And, um, and I thought, Oh, well, you know, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Um, and this person said, well, I just want to make sure, like, if you're going to get pregnant, I'm not going to give you money because, you know, and, okay. This, I'm I, bristling and eye rolling I, I wasn't going to say it, behalf. but it, it was actually a woman. So she said, you know, well, I, had my, I did my stuff after I had my kids, and it's going to be hard. So good thing you're not having kids because I'm not going to give you the money. Um, and then the second question was, um, you know, uh, okay, we really want to give you the money, we really want to work with you, but you need to sign a prenup with, with this guy that you're potentially going to get married. And um, and I thought, well, geez, I'm not, you know, Jeff Bezos yet. On <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that I'm all for people who want to get prenups. Um, that's, you know, their own personal choice. It just wasn't something that, you know, I thought about. I'm also, you know, married to an entrepreneur, so it's... Um, and... It just didn't, um, I made, made me think that, you know, here I am trying to build a business that is, you know, wanting to change the way women's stor stories are portrayed. And really, if I cannot do that for my own self, then I have no right doing this business. So I just politely, um, you know, just said, hey, you know, not taking any money and um, never even, you know, thought about it. Um, but I really could have used that money and we, you know, might have you know, been in a more successful place. Um, but, you know, that was an easy thing to say, you know, yes to, because also at the time I had some money to pay my employees. So, but if I didn't, that could have been a different story. That's also the realities of entrepreneurship. I noticed both of you like are resonating with like, it's hard. You make really tough decisions. Pega, do you think it's more challenging when you want to stay true to something bigger than your bottom line? Oh, absolutely. I think I think it's a daily challenge. I don't know if it's a daily challenge for you, but it's it's very much this is the business. How do you grow? How do you scale? But how do you at the same time stay true to your mission? And I think I think you know, a lot of people, when I was starting Repaint History, and still to this day, sometimes I get that question, so are you a non-for-profit? 
And my response to them is, no, we're not a non-for-profit, we're actually a for-profit, and that happened intentionally because we want to grow, we care about this mission so much that we want this, we want, we don't, want to always be tied to grants and, you know, loans and funds. We want to be a self-sustained business that can continue addressing this mission. So it's, it's a, you know, and, but that doesn't mean that we won't have a non-for-profit arm. You know, you can be a hybrid company, have a for-profit and a non-for-profit side of it, and then have two different boards of advisors, and then, you know, but there is a reason why you set your business up with a mission as a social enterprise, and that's because you want to do something for this world, you want to make a change, you want to address something, but at the same time you have to be so aware of how to sustain your business. So it's a daily challenge. It's sometimes, you know, I think sometimes, I find sometimes that we are perceived as, you know, well, well, you're supporting, like you're doing this, so you shouldn't, you, you know, you shouldn't be taking money for this or that. And it's like, I'm a business at the end of the day. I'm addressing a very specific um, gap in mission. And, you know, and we're very passionate about it and it's a huge issue and and we have to address it. But at the same time, I am a business. So, it's finding that balance between what your mission is and what your company does as a business and how it can sustain itself. Elpega was talking earlier about how she used fashion as a conversation starter to, you know, raise awareness for what she wanted to do. Can you talk a little bit about you know, the designs of your shoes are beautiful, but you also have your own way of, of being a conversation starter within your brand. How do you go about doing that? To talk about the, the shoes and... Yeah. Yeah. Um, like... Because they have cool names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I will say that, you know, we're a product company, and first and foremost, we have to make really beautiful product. You know, I can't have some you know, piece of crap and then, you know, have this beautiful purpose if nobody wants to buy it. So, um, you know, we always make sure that, um, you know, our craftsmanship is the best in the world. Uh, we make our, you know, shoes and bags in the best factories in the world. Which is why fancy people wear your shoes sometimes. Only fancy people I care <laughs> about wearing them as you. Like our prime minister's wife or Kira. <laughs> yeah, we've had, you know, some... Yeah. She's being very modest. You know, wonderful women wear our shoes. Um, you know, one way we talk about our, our mission and, and execute it is through the, you know, naming of our shoes. So we have named uh, shoes after Amelia Earhart, Maya Angelou, um, you know, God, um, Ava, which it's not Ava DuVernay, that was kind of, but I had her in mind, um, you know, um, Zhang Xin, who's the CEO of So China, I just love her, Emily Stowe, founder of, um, you know, Women's College Hospital Foundation, 
tons of women. We just launched uh, bags, and um, it's you know we have a bag named after which you 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 know her Farooq Farooqzad, who's the um, Sylvia Plath, you know Sylvia Plath of Iran, and her work is actually banned in Iran um, because God forbid she talked about you know women's sexual desire. And um, I was actually reading <laughs> one of the poems to uh, to Mabel, um, who works with me, and she's here, and it's like sounds so simple, and I was like, this was banned. The stuff that we see in social media today. Um, but it's a way for us to, you know, talk about women similar to Pega that you might have not, you know, heard of. And we get you to pronounce those names because I remember when I was, you know, telling my sister, a younger sister, she lives in New Zealand, that I have this bag and she said, um, she calls me Ella. Ella, who's going to say Farouk? <laughs> and she uh, she looked so worried that, like, you know, like this bag is not going to sell. Now, people are going to buy it because it's a beautiful bag, or people are going to buy it because they like it, or people are going to buy it for who knows what reasons. But as long as we can do both of you know both those two things, I think it's uh, it gives meaning to the product. And again, going back to something Pega said is like every single morning when we you know doesn't matter who you are. This is what I love about um, fashion, uh, you know, food and beverages is as long as we are humans of this kind, and it doesn't matter how much AI there is, we have to you know dress ourselves every day to some extent, depending on who we are and what we do. Um, and we need to eat and we need to, you know, for, you know, to stay alive. So we are making choices every day. Um, and I think that, you know, what we're doing is we're giving people, you know, better choices. I hear such passion in both of you for, for, you know, more than just what the product is. So it must fuel you personally uh, to keep going. You both have staff. You have employees. Do they share your zeal for this? How do you impart something that's so intrinsic to your to your brand identity to the people who you work with and for? Um, I don't know if I would bring someone on board who doesn't actually care about it. I think I think it's. It starts from who you bring to your company and how you um, have them. Like, for instance, some of the interns that we had, they've approached us because they've been at talks, events. They've heard us, and they care so much about it. And, you know, they hound us through social media. Like, they email us and follow up because they care so much about it. And so I think I think it starts with that, to bring someone who actually cares and about the cause and the mission, and then to continue keeping them engaged. And I think I think it's... That's part of the company culture, right? And is that a gut check? Like, or are you, are you asking them directly, you know, intern, how <laughs> do you feel about women and art? Like, how are you within our, you know, legislative questions that we are yeah. and are not allowed to ask people in an interview situation? Like, how do you gauge that? Have you had to, have you ever had to say, oh, that one doesn't get it. It's not working out. Thank you. Bye-bye. I think and I don't know if the same with you. It really comes down to gut. I don't have a, I don't have, it's not a black and white or a white answer for me. It's, it's how 
they talk, how they approach the subject, the information that they share about it. Obviously, if you want to be part of Repaint History, or if you come to an interview, you kind of have an understanding of, hopefully, mm -hmm. some don't, um, like of who we are and what we do. And so, so I think it's part of that when they share, when they want to share, when they show how much they care, but also under obviously the skill set that they are bringing to, to the company. So I think it's a bit of a gut check. Elle, what about you? Uh, gut check is definitely a big part of it. Uh, I have different approaches depending on who it is. So if it's, you know, somebody who's going to work with us in headquarters, um, you know, you, you ask the, you know, regular questions, but you also try to, um, you know, gauge how much they know about you or um, there's lots of different ways to find out what someone's values are. You know, ask them about their families, ask them, um, you know, you have dinner with them, um, you have, you know, coffee with them and you see how they treat people. Um, and I'm, you know, a very blunt person. So um, I'll give you one example. Um, so when we, you know, we do a lot of pop-ups, um, and, you know, in fashion, it can be sometimes a catty culture. Or if you're a blunt person like me, you call it a bitchy culture. And um, I have asked, you know, when I interviewed people for our pop-ups, I've said, you know, like, we don't, this is not a bitchy place. Um, everybody is friendly, and it's, I encourage uh, positive and respectful confrontation. So if you don't like something, you tell your colleague, but if you're not going to tell them, then do not tell anyone else. Um, and that's just, that's like my style. That's something that I, you know, encourage everyone around me to do. And it's, I like it because you say it and then you never have to think about it afterwards. Uh, you know, once you said it, it's gone. You just move on with your business. And um, sometimes I notice that some, some people are like so shocked that I, you know, said that, or sometimes they're offended. But, um, you know, I think that I'm also looking for people that roll with the punches. Um, we are an entrepreneurial company. There's like, you know, if you're a company of, say, 50 people, you know, you have a certain kind of culture. If you're 100 people, you have a certain culture. Um, the same thing when, you know, I'm looking for factories in, in Italy. You know, when I'm looking for a factory in Italy and I, you know, turn up, um, I'm not talking about, you know, changing the way women are perceived to the factory owner. I'm looking at the way he is treating the women who work for him. Um, you know, whether it's a lot of them, uh, people that we work with are family-owned factories. I'm looking at, you know, the artisans on the floor, the craftspeople. You know, how he, um, how they treat me, um, you know, are they, um, respectful to, you know, um, like a lot of times I don't, I don't speak Italian and they don't speak English. So we have like, you know, one of my team members, are they respectful enough to, you know, stop, pause, or they're just like blabbing on and they don't care. These are like little things. And, um, it's, you know, like manners is universal, um, you know, I like people who are generous, generosity, and I'm not talking about like giving something, something, generosity of the soul, of the spirit. Um, if you don't have that, then I just, you cannot be around me because like, you know, well, you're either going to get it because you're going to, you know, be around all the people. But just the last thing I'll say on that is like the hardest people to, um, 
hire as your first five people because you know you're you're nobody nobody knows you and nobody wants to come in and you know not sure if you're going to be around but once you have a few people um, if you've chosen the right people then other people are going to naturally self-select out you know, because they don't want to be around people who are passionate uh, or ambitious and want to do something, you know, through life. They, you know, they will self-select out. It, it sounds to me that there's an extra layer, maybe not an extra layer, that's not necessarily fair, but there is definitely a hyper-awareness and attentiveness that you have in order to, to keep the, the, the values you want permeating through all elements of your of your business. Abs you, abs you absolutely. I mean, that is my job. It, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's very important now. And if I wanted this company to go somewhere, that is my job. Like as the founder of the company, you are the biggest cheerleader. Your job is to make sure that, um, like you actually work for everybody. Um, you know, it's the, it's the toughest and the shittiest job to have because, um, you know, if you, if you, there is a time that you don't actually believe in it, you can't tell anyone else. Um, but if someone else doesn't believe in it, you can pick them up and you can, you know, talk to them. Um, but that is your job, whether it's like, you know, whether you're Sarah Blakely of Spanx, um, you know, and if you, you know, look at her, she's still, you know, passionate. And I think that, um, those are, um, the kind of people that other people naturally want to be around. If not, you just kind of go work for a bank. Because you do pop no offense to banks. Yeah, yeah exactly. No offense to yeah. finance. Um, because you have, uh, you do regular pop-ups, you're face to face with your customers a lot of the time. Do you hear feedback about more than just how beautiful and comfortable the shoes are? Do you get a sense that that global citizenry is permeating into what the customers are taking away? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, that's the um, advantage and why we chose to be direct, because we want to have that, that feedback. And we get all kinds of feedback. I mean... Um, you know, I've been told like, you know, L, like, like I'll give you one example. Um, so we, um, you know, for some time now we have been, um, you know, any shoes that we shoot are, are like on, on people that are not, um, you know, the typical models or model size. And we didn't, um, you know, Photoshop the, the veins on the legs and things like that. And I've had people say like, Hey, like you're taking a little bit too far. The shoes beautiful, but man, the legs ugly. Um, you know, things like that. And, you know, and my response is, well, that's like, how my leg looks and, you know, and if I'm walking and you're lucky, yes, my legs are not in the photo. Um, but it's just something that you constantly have to do. And then you, you know, your job is to listen to everything that people are saying, but then you have to choose like what you let in and what you don't. And, and today I was at an event and I, you know, bumped into someone I know and, you know, she, first thing she said, I love your interview interviews are getting better and better. So, you know, some people will say that other people will be like, um, you know, I have also been told by a very well-intentioned advisor, um, L, um, I think you're putting a little bit like too many old women on your site. So, you know, you kind of like, you know, and they're not, you know, like I know what you're doing and really be, but it's like time to put some young ones up there. So it's, and this is a person that, you know, believes in me, believes in that. And, you know, I don't get offended, but people will say all kinds of things. And I think the hardest thing is that you have to choose what you do. But the harder thing is that you don't actually know if your decisions are right until a few years later. 
Pekka, how do you measure success for Repaint History? That's a really good question. Um, so it's it's a little so there's a business aspects of it, which obviously the numbers and you know everything about that. But there's also another layer that we measure success, and that's what is our mission accomplishing. And so there are ways, and as I said earlier, we support past female artists and current contemporary artists. And so some of the ways that we look at it is that what are some of the things that we've done to bring recognition to these women from the past and to support the present artists? And where are they in terms of, you know, gallery representation, museum exhibitions, and, you know, for the contemporary artists, mentorship. Where are they at today? Where were they when, you know, they didn't know us? And, and then for the past female artists is what are the collaborations that we've had with museums in terms of putting forward the names of these women? Because, um, so museums carry a lot of our products and, you know, we bring the names of women artists into our works. And so, um, and then there's always, you know, we, they have our products and then there's an exhibition of this woman artist suddenly like in their planning. And it's like, ha, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> so it's, there are, there are two ways that really we measure success over and above how the business side of it works. And I think that's really important. It's also what we give back. So we, um, first year of our business, we um, donated a portion of ourselves to Sketch, um, um, which is, a, for those of you who don't know, it's an organization here in Toronto that they support homeless youth through arts and art education. And that was a personal decision that we wanted to make. We wanted to give back to our city, first year of our business, and we thought that's really important. Um, and but this year now we're taking it more international and so we'll be announcing that actually soon so it's those ways as well like what what have we done with those what has happened with those proceeds with our supports with the you know the names of these women where are they it's a little it's harder it's a bit intangible to measure it but we keep a really close eye on it because we think those are really important and then there's the business aspects of it so you know which is the so you're kind of running two parallel totally. paths that you're evaluating totally. all the time Elle, there are people listening there are people here who are entrepreneurs some of them might be thinking damn, I need a purpose. <laughs> Some of them might have a, have something that helps fuel them that like you, they want to bring out through whatever their, their product and their gifts are. What do you do when things get exhausting or just too hard to keep pushing forward as an entrepreneur and as an entrepreneur that wants to do more for the world than just make a product. Okay, apart from drinking single yeah. malt scotch <laughs> every night. <laughs> Vices notwithstanding. Yes. Um, I have a brother who uh, is 31 years old this year, and his name's Amir, and he has a developmental uh, disability. 
And for the rest of his life, he's going to be like a two-year-old. Um, and, you know, he is the single biggest inspiration of my life. And, you know, I was raised by a single mother. I'm number one, and he's number four. Um, and, you know, just looking at him, I think I've always, uh, you know, felt... That's why, you know, I said I had this kind of... I was born this way, or at least had it for 31 years from when he was born, is that, you know, I just have the privilege of, you know, putting on my own clothes and, you know, eating food and, you know, going, doing my personal stuff uh, alone, and uh, he doesn't have that privilege. He needs somebody to assist him. And, you know, so I think that he's the biggest blessing of my life, and with him there, there's always kind of him that I fall back to because, um, you know, like Zavell is four years old now. And, you know, the thing about, you know, I think building a company is really like also many things in life is that um, you have good days, you have bad days, um, but you have more bad days than you have good days. So it's, um, if you can find a way to, you know, not get so high on the high days or if like, you know, you get a press and don't believe in your own press, um, you know, or think you're special, everybody is special. Um, and also, you know, who cares if you fail? And, you know, and that's actually, it's good. Um, you know, a couple of days ago, um, you know, I was rejected for something, and I was like, this sucks, you know, tell me. You know. And then I thought to myself, well, thank God, because I've not been rejected in a while, and it means that I've not been trying hard enough. Um, and, yeah, so it's good. Um, you know, years ago I heard um, this author, Robin Sharma, say, S-cubed, some will, some won't, so what? So just, and I always kind of keep that at the back of my mind, um, you know, have a drink in a healthy way. Um, you know, watch some Netflix. Um, be with your friends. And I would say the, the most important thing you can do when you are, whether it is, you know, going to school, um, fulfilling a dream, starting a company or whatever, be very careful um, who you surround yourself with. Um, you know, I, I was never told this, but... If you want to get into a relationship, it doesn't matter, like I'm talking about a romantic relationship, whether you're, you know, however way you identify yourself, just remember that is going to be the biggest decision of your life. Because if you're living with this person and you go home and you have a bad day and you're going to have many bad days, or even if you have a good day, you don't want to turn around and have this person shit all over your dream because you can bet that the world is shitting on your dream until you become Sarah Blakely and you're on fortune cover <laughs> but you just do not want that person to be doing it because that is the you know it's like they're in this you're in your vulnerable space so I want you know that's the biggest lesson you can learn and so choose that person very carefully and then after that, choose your friends very carefully. You know, there's another saying, tell me who, who your friends are and I will tell you who you are. So we could go on and on, but thank you so much for being here. Pega, if people want to follow along, where can they find out more about you and Repaint yeah, History? So you can follow us on Instagram. It's uh, at repaint.history. Uh, repaint <laughs> um, that's our Instagram and our website is repainthistory.com. 
And Elle, where can we buy some kick-ass shoes and follow your empire? Um, on Instagram, we're at, at I am Zavelle, and on uh, on our website, zavelle.com. And I'll I'll put in a plug here. We're opening a permanent space in Toronto. Um, it will open in April, so make sure you're listening to this podcast on March 24th. And uh, maybe you Donna were the can give you an update. You first to know, hot off the press. That's so that's super exciting. We're going to open it up to questions in just a sec, but before we do that, I just want to say thank you to everyone for coming on this dreary March evening to join us today. Thank you to uh, Ryerson and the Fashion Zone for hosting us tonight. Uh, thank you to CAFA, our producing partner in the podcast. You can follow CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards, at C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S. I'm Donna Bishop. You can follow me at This is Donna B. And until next time, thank you for listening to Fashion Talks. 